Welcome back to Netflix and Kill, the podcast where we review and document all the horror films on Netflix. Actually, Jennifer's Body's not on Netflix. We'll get into that. Anyways, so since it's June, we decided to do a Pride Month special and talk about a few horror films that have LGBT themes. So, welcome. If you hear some jingling and clawing, that's because uh, we have uh, a kitty here with us named yes, Oatmeal. Yes, our podcat, Oatmeal. She's a little kitty. Yeah. She's orange and white. Okay, anyways, let's introduce ourselves. So, Oatmeal has so proudly said hello. And Oatmeal's gone. I'm Kai. I'm Marty. And I'm Ethan. Ethan's my brother, for those of you not aware. And um, now Oatmeal yeah. is clawing at me. <laughs> <laughs> She's touching my butt again. <laughs> Sorry. She's been a purr. <laughs> yes, so uh, welcome back. Happy Pride. Today we're here to talk about Jennifer's Body. This is a 2009 film starring Megan Fox and uh, that girl from Lame Is. I don't remember her name. Amanda Seyfried? Yeah, her. Marty, would you like to go through the premise of the movie? Okay, so the premise of the movie is that there's these two girls uh, who are best friends. Their names are Jennifer and Needy. Um, and, well, the well, the movie starts out and Needy's in prison. But as the movie goes on, you see, like, how she got to be in prison. And it's that her and Jennifer were best friends. And then uh, there was this concert that they had gone to and at the concert there was a big fire and a bunch of people died but uh needy and jennifer got out and the band members are like huge creepy gross dudes so they persuade jennifer to go with them in their big van and then they disappear and needy goes home and then when Edie gets home, Jennifer's at her house, uh, covered in blood, and, like, tries to eat her. <laughs> but she doesn't. And then she, like, gets into Needy's fridge and starts eating, like, raw meat. And then she just kind of disappears. And then the next morning, it's like, Jennifer's fine. And then, so the rest of the movie is just, like, trying to figure out why Jennifer is acting so weird. And then... They find out that she's possessed by a demon. <laughs> yeah. First impressions. Nope. What did you all think of the movie? I liked it. Yeah, honestly, I, I enjoyed it. I loved it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really good. Because I might be mistaken, but doesn't the movie kind of have like a, not a bad rap, but like, I remember it getting kind of like negative criticism at the time. Yeah, yeah it got like, really bad reviews. Yeah, a bunch of people hated it. For some reason, but like watching it now, it's really good. Yeah. So like, I don't understand the criticisms of it. I think probably because it was marketed as a really serious film when it had a lot of kind of funny undertones to it, and so what was marketed wasn't exactly what people were getting. Mm-hmm. Well, I wonder too if a lot of it is like bias against Megan Fox. Yeah, because this was this came out the year after the first Transformers movie, and like. People hated her at this point. You know, they, like, maybe not as much. I'd say after the second Transformers movie was when it got the worst. But, like, people really, like, they blamed her for ruining Transformers and that, oh, she's so terrible. She All she is is a sex object. 
Which, like, sucks because it was the director who was treating her that way. I mean, Michael Bay was the one who kind of forced her into that. You know, she's actually a really cool person, and, and she did a really good job in this film, I thought. Mm-hmm. Like, clearly mm-hmm. she and this director have um, a good working relationship, it seems like. At least mm-hmm. on the screen, you can tell, like... I don't know. It just seems really well directed, and but I I wonder if that's where a lot of the negative reviews came from, or it's just like this hating on Megan Fox. Yeah, it might have been that. I mean, I wouldn't know. I haven't read any of the reviews yet. I kind of want to just to see, and I know it has been a little bit reanalyzed recently. Uh, it's kind of become a cult classic in a way. Mainly lesbians. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. I mean, Megan Fox, our bisexual queen. Mm-hmm. So, a few interesting things to note about this film. Um, it's directed by Karen Kusama, and we've actually talked about one of her other movies, The Invitation, mm-hmm. uh, earlier in our podcast. So, just for a bit of context, she's the one who directed this. It's written by Diablo Cody, who's known for writing Juno, Young Adult, and Tully. Uh, so, that's pretty cool. You can kind of, you can definitely see some of that influence, um, which is really nice. Uh, it's got, like, really snappy dialogue, a lot of pop culture references, which, strangely enough, aged really well. There's a ton of, like, a ton of, like, Zac Efron and Bieber fever references. <laughs> but, like, and I don't know if it's just me, because, like, I was, I was, I think I would have been 13 when this movie came out. So, like, I was, you know, right there in the height of it. So, for me, all of the references aged really well and nothing felt, like, out of place. But I don't know. Again, that could be just me. Like, I know if if some people watch it, they might find it kind of dated. But I think it still works really well. If anything, it's actually aged better now and almost a little ahead of its time. Um, Because I think, Ethan and I were talking about this a little last night, It's I think a lot of it's kind of a response to the culture of the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know how fresh, like, 9-11 or the whole, like, war on terror was on that time, but... I definitely, there were a lot of references up to it, I noticed in the movie. Yeah. They, um... <laughs> With the drinks. The 9-11 drinks. And yeah. And yeah. Tower 1 isn't full enough. <laughs> God. Uh, yeah. Like, but they, you know, I I do feel like 9-11, after some years had passed, everyone just kind of felt apathetic. And so that kind of has to do with the culture of the film, the like, apathy towards death. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, because these, these characters, after Jennifer gets possessed, she becomes very, very mean and cold. Which, like, she kind of was a little bit before, but, like, not... She was still human. Mm-hmm. But, like, afterwards, after she gets possessed, she just becomes, like, inhumanly cruel towards her friend and towards other people. And I think this is very much, like, a response to trauma and tragedy or like it's a commentary about that because um throughout the film you see how other characters react to this tragedy that happened in their town of a bar burning down and like a lot of it's really realistic i mean students are having breakdowns at school and then on top of it um these people keep getting murdered by jennifer but they don't know it yet mm-hmm. and so like that you know on top of a a local tragedy, then you have this, like, high schoolers getting murdered, and it's just, like, really traumatic. So, it's interesting. You see everyone's reactions to that, and then by the end of the film, everyone kind of becomes apathetic to it, Mm -hmm. which is interesting, and I wonder if a little bit of that was commentary on, like, school shootings and that kind of culture, 
Because I think one of the characters even says, like, yeah, this has happened so often now that it's like, oh, who's next? You know? So, that was fascinating to me. But what I like about the film is it's not too obvious about what it what it's saying. You know, like, there's a lot of different ways you could interpret it. So, like, Marty had a different interpretation. Well, um, the band that was playing at the bar the night that it burned down, they are, like, Satanists. And so when they take Jennifer out to, like, when they take her out in the van, they keep asking her if she's, like, a virgin and stuff, and it's because they were gonna, like, sacrifice her. She wasn't, but she kept telling them she was because she thought she was gonna score with, like, the the main, like, singer. When they get her out into the field, they, like, you know, start the sacrifice and, like, they pull out this big bowie knife and, like, stab her with it while they're singing, uh, that's, that Tommy Two-Tone song. Uh, yeah, that song. I didn't want to sing it, but we did. <laughs> yeah, so my reading of that was that, you know, they were exploiting her, um, for fame. And so... None of that was her fault that she got turned into a demon and stuff. So, like, she gets turned into a demon because she's not she's not a virgin when she says she is. And so the sacrifice didn't actually really work. It was just, like, instead of, you know, her just dying, the demon possesses her body and, like, starts killing people. So my, my take on it is, like, the exploitation of women, you know, gets turned back on, like, everyone in the community because... Like, even with Needy, like, because she didn't protect her from what was happening, like, you know, she ends up losing her best friend, and and then everything else gets taken out on, like, innocent people, because it's, like, a defense mechanism for, you know, trauma. Yeah. Which I do, I do think there's a lot, I think there's a lot of truth in that interpretation, too, because I, like, I mean, the framing of the sacrifice scene is, like, very much... Along the lines of, like, a rape scene or something. Like, it's just, mm-hmm. like, really... Oh, it was really hard to watch, almost, because it's, like, kind of traumatizing. Something I thought was interesting, though, actually, this is just, like, a random observation, but uh, there's the trope of the virgin surviving. So I thought it was interesting that, like, a nice little way of playing with a trope that this character survives because she wasn't a virgin. Mm-hmm. Like, if she was a virgin, she would have probably died, but, like... Because she's not a virgin, she survives. I mean, she survives and is possessed, so I don't know how mm-hmm. good that is for her, but, like, I well, thought it was a good way of... too, I mean... Yeah, yeah. I, neither of the leading ladies are, are virgins. Um, like, there's, like, a very explicit scene where um, it keeps cutting back and forth from Jenner, Jennifer, like, murdering this goth kid um, to me having sex with her boyfriend, and it's, like, you can definitely... It's, like... Definitely a scene showing, like, you know, consent versus exploitation and how bad it it is because this thing happened to her. Mm-hmm. So. It, it definitely put me back in that mind frame because, like, this just talks about consent and stuff was not as common at that time. Mm-hmm. So it really did kind of take me back to, like, yeah, the culture at that time was really cold and really cool. I mean, like, I... You know, Ethan and I obviously, like, went to the same school and were only a couple grades apart. And, like, do you remember how freaking mean the people at our school were? Oh, yeah. Especially at that time period. And, like, just the 
the coldness and like jokes about murdering people, gay slurs were commonly used. I feel like a lot of it might just be kind of a commentary on that too. The coldness of the society and the, you know, the apathy as a response to trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, which when you compare that to now, it's like I almost think that we've opened up now as a culture and yeah. embraced emotions and like a lot of the high schoolers I mean not everyone because teenagers will always be a little mean just because it's, yeah. it's a tough time in life mm-hmm. but a lot of the high schoolers I meet now are so much kinder and more socially aware and I mean you wouldn't hear a lot of the language being tossed around like slurs and stuff mm-hmm. that you do that you would have 10 years ago in 2009 so that was really interesting to think about I mean even down to like the TV shows we watched back then. I mean, that was, like, the height of Jersey Shore. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, like, Kardashians. And, like, just these people, reality TV and these people being mean and catty to each other. And, like, that's what we celebrated. And it's it's just so different now. And I I think it's changed for the better. Mm -hmm. So, here, this, I guess, moving on uh, from how we viewed the movie, here's just something I found interesting. I thought it was really weird that Chris Pratt was in the movie. Yeah! <laughs> Chris Pratt shows up! He has, and, like, like, he really didn't have all that prominent of a role. Like, he's only he in, like, one scene. scene. Well, yeah. was, this, was this pre-Parks and Rec? It was 2009, so I <laughs> no, think... No, I think it was. It was, like, right when the earlier seasons were airing. Yeah. Okay, okay. Because I, I was trying to, like, place this in the... The timeline. Yeah, the timeline of Chris Pratt films. Yeah, it was bizarre. Yeah, so he played, like... A cop that uh, Jennifer was kind of in, I guess not really a relationship, but they were hooking up. Yeah. yeah. He, like, showed up. He's, like, talking to her about, like, one of these days you're going to be my girlfriend because, like, I'm fixing the past cop or army training or something and I'm going to have a good job and you're going to be my wife. And she's like, fuck off, dude. <laughs> yeah. And, like, that's the end of his scene. <laughs> Also, J.K. Simmons was in this. Yeah, J.K. Yeah, Simmons. Yeah, so I never really got the deal. Like, J.K. Simmons only had one hand, <laughs> and the other hand was a hook. Yeah. And, like, I took note of it at the very beginning. Like, I was like, oh, he has a hook for a hand. And I thought they were going to make some, like, dumb joke with it. But they never really did. Yeah, just had a hook. like, I'm like, all right. I mean, well, if we want to go with our, like our interpretation of trauma. Maybe he was, like, a veteran or something, and he lost his hand, and... Again, like, none of this is at all implied. It's, like, they don't say anything about it. He literally just has a hook for a hand. But, like, mm-hmm. you know, if we want to um, add that to a reading yeah. of the film, then there's that. But he yeah, lost what it a... in 9-11. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I mean, but what an interesting production design choice. Mm-hmm. Also, the ugly wig they put yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> like, he was in a terrible wig. It looked like, you know, one of those... Ugly, fake, cotton, like, fur rugs. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's what it looked like on top of his head. It was, it was disgusting. <laughs> it's it's like if someone got a lint roller and he, like, picked up a bunch of cat hair. And then just and put it on his head. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yeah. Which, yeah. like, I don't know. It kind of works for me. <laughs> I don't know why. It worked for me, too. Because it's, well, because it's something, like, they show he's a teacher at their school and he's kind of like dorky and yeah and like, like there, honestly yeah, there's I a scene see... where uh 
like this one like Jennifer's murdering this one guy in the woods and he's screaming and JK Simmons' response to that he's like, Oh let it out and he's thinking it's just some kid's response to the like fire. Uh-huh. Yeah. But he he like it, it goes on for like a really long time and then after like it stops he goes, I should check on that kid and then he walks out and there's just uh, a, a big chunky body there. <laughs> oh, of course. It's like... Didn't they say... Oh, no, that was about the goth of... kid, but they say, like, lasagna with teeth. <laughs> that comes Garth. up a lot. Um, <sighs> yeah. Which, I guess, speaking of the goth kid, little Billy Joe, as I called him, because he looked kind of yeah. like Billy Joe Armstrong. His character's name was Colin, and I think that's the only one that stood out to me, because, like, his funeral scene was, like, really... Oh, it was such a good scene. Yeah, the... Actress who plays his mom did a really good job with uh, the monologue she had to give about, uh, like grief and stuff. So, so like the the his friends at school are like super goth and he's super goth, and so his friends show up to his funeral and they're like being really over dramatic about like, you know, I should be in the ground, not you, and all this other stuff and and, and like talking about riding on the wings of a dragon or something, and the mom goes, shut the fuck up. And then she, she like, has this really long monologue, but it ends with, I, I have the monopoly on pain. And, like, that is the most raw line I have ever heard. Yeah. It's, like, ridiculous how, how, like, how much that got to me in the moment. Like, it was mm-hmm. crazy. I loved it. It was a, it was a great line. So, back to the cast for just a moment. So, how do we feel about the performances in this film? They, I feel like everyone did a pretty good job. Yeah. I think Megan Fox did a really good job, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, you don't really get a sense that she's acting well in the Transformers movies, but that's because the script is terrible and the directing is terrible, um, and that has nothing to do with how she acts at all. But, like, she she does a really good job at the beginning of being, like, a sweet person and then by the end of it being, you know, evil. Like, she does a really good job of it. Like, I can, mm-hmm. I can like, in my mind, I can see the difference between the two scenes and how, like, her personality shifts after she was killed and possessed. And she did great. Yeah. And her vulnerability, too, because she spends most of the movie acting very cold. But there's the one scene where she finally tells Needy what happened to her, and, like, there's some vulnerability there. I mean, it starts and with it... the whole scene where they're making out. Like, she, she's, like, she, like, gets into Needy's room. She's, like, in her underpants, but she's wearing one of Needy's shirts. It's an Evil Dead shirt, by the way. <laughs> and so, like, she kind of just, like, pulls Needy really close to her face, and they start kissing. And then, like, it just, it's it's a really intimate scene, and I don't think it's played for, like, you know, male gaze or anything like that, just because it's, it's so intimate, and then, like, it follows up with the story of, like, what had happened to her, how she got possessed, and it, it's not for the male gaze, I don't think. I mean, there are, there are parts of it, but they never show, like, the body. They show their lips, mostly, in mm-hmm. close-up, and... It's, I thought it was a really beautifully shot scene. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess that's another thing we can get into, because this is the reason we originally picked this film, because mm-hmm. it's not on Netflix. It was, I believe, and then it got taken off, It, as is the case with a lot of things we've talked <laughs> about. Um, but that was the reason we even picked this film, is because it's pretty, like, 
widely known in the LGBT community now, and, um, one of the few horror films that, like, has actual, like, explicit, like, that explicitly states, or explicitly shows, at least, like, these characters kissing or doing something, because there's a lot of, a lot of horror films with subtext, Mm -hmm. but, like, they never show anything. We didn't really want to talk about stuff with subtext, because, like, that's kind of what we do normally. Yeah. And so we wanted to, like, talk about stuff that actually had something, you know, in in your face about, like, you know, what is happening. Which is why we picked this movie, because of the kissing scene. And then it's all, also why we picked next week's movie, which is uh, Sleepaway Camp. Um, because of the, the way uh, the trans experience or um, just body issues in general are portrayed in the film yeah so um i guess like how do we feel that this plays a role in the movie's themes or characters did it seem natural i guess to you guys or did it seem like it came out of nowhere i feel like it was always kind of hinted at throughout the movie Mm -hmm. and like like if you guys hadn't talked about like all the lgbtq stuff like before we watched the movie like I feel like it, like, I don't know, I definitely feel like it would have come a little bit more as a surprise to me, but Mm -hmm. still, it definitely, like, it doesn't feel, like, way out of nowhere. And I guess, like, like, after that, I feel like that's definitely becomes, like, a big cornerstone in the movie, like, their relationship. Mm -hmm. Like, I guess, like, especially for me, like, the, I guess, spoilers, but her death scene. Yeah, uh, yeah, the very end. Where, like, she rips off the locket she has yeah the, the best friend necklace mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the way like i don't know i noticed how like the blood flowed down and kind of like gathered right in the spot where the locket was uh-huh. I, don't know. I feel like the relationship yeah. was definitely like i don't know kind of became one of the bigger themes in the movie yeah i felt like maybe if their relationship had been healthier they probably would have fallen in love with each other but just because like the the intimate scene um and like you know, there there's a also a part where Jennifer actually goes after Needy's boyfriend. Um, his name is like Chip. Chip. Yeah. Chip. <laughs> like. <laughs> I feel bad for Chip. I kind of liked him. Yeah, he was, he was a, a cool person. Guy. Yeah, um, he was way more likable than I thought he would be. Yeah. Um, but there's a scene where she like Jennifer lures him into like this abandoned pool area. And, like, starts to try to eat him, and then Needy comes in, and Needy, like, you know, kind of throws Jennifer off of him and, like, pulls him out of the pool, and (laughs) Jennifer starts floating, (laughs) and Needy's like, yeah, she can float, it's not that impressive, and Jennifer goes, God, do you have to undermine everything that I do? (laughs) And it's... It's a really funny line, and the, but then it, like, gets really serious because Needy keeps asking Jennifer, you know, why are you going after my boyfriend? Is it to make me jealous? Is it to make me pissed off at you? What's going on? But Jennifer doesn't answer. She just kind of stares at Needy. And I feel like that's all you really need to know because, like, the scene prior is, you know, Jennifer kissing Needy. And Jennifer just actually, I feel like, just wants Needy's company and to, you know, have a relationship with her, but it's not something that she can ever say. Because 
beforehand she was just chasing these guys because there was an emptiness. And I think it's because Needy already had a boyfriend. Yeah, well, I think a lot of it might have to do with cultural expectations, too. I that, mean, like, too. Which I think is why it was really smart for them to cast Megan Fox, because mm-hmm. she's dealt with a lot of the same issues that I think her character Jennifer probably deals with, and that, mm-hmm. like, this is a very, very, very attractive person, mm-hmm. and so people project all of these ideas onto her, mm-hmm. like, oh, she's a slut, oh, she gets around, and, you know, she's so sexy, and, and whatever, even just because like of how the, pretty she is. Like, just because of how she looks. And there, there was even the opposite, though, with, like, the band. They, like, kept saying, oh, she's a virgin because she dresses like this for attention, so she, you know, hasn't actually had that experience yet. Yeah. And there's, like, all of these expectations forced upon Jennifer, but, like, you know, she doesn't really get an expression of herself, really. Like, I wonder if a lot of her flirting and stuff is just because these expectations are put on her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think I think the only time we actually get to see Jennifer as Jennifer are the times when she and Needy are alone, especially the scene mm-hmm. where they kiss, because, like, there is no one else in that room. It's, it's Needy's room at her house, and Jennifer just comes in and kind of just sits in her company for a little bit and tells her what happened, and it's, it's terrifying from Needy's perspective, but, like, from Jennifer's perspective, I feel like she actually does need that love and attention um she just doesn't really know how to get it mm-hmm. and also i guess going on that i liked the flashback scene mm-hmm. of them as children oh yeah yeah especially i feel like that was kind of an earlier hint of it where like oh yeah needy kissed jennifer on the hand yeah and... need, like jennifer's had like a boo-boo or something like she cut her hand open a little bit and he just bends over and kisses it, and, like, even when they were kids, they were kind of, you know, innocently intimate with each other. That's nice. That's something you don't always see in horror films. Mm-hmm. Or a lot of the intimacy feels very forced. Yeah. In horror films, like, oh, we're just doing this so we can move on to the killing. You know, the whole Friday 13th trope of, like, they have sex and they die. Yeah. But, like, in this film, all the intimacy feels real. Like, even the scene with Needy and her boyfriend, like, it mm-hmm. feels so real. Yeah. What do we think about the ending? Oh, I love the ending. So, you find out that Needy is in jail because uh, when she goes to kill Jennifer, because Jennifer is a demon. So Jennifer, (laughs) I I need to talk about this real quick. So it's like, Needy gets on top of Jennifer in her bed, and then Jennifer starts floating and turning, like, upside down and stuff. And, like, Needy pulls out a box knife and just stabs her in the heart and like as they're in the air needy like pulls jennifer's best friend locket off of her neck and jennifer just falls into the bed and needy just like points the box knife right at her and lets herself fall into jennifer and she dies um she gets stabbed right in the heart (laughs) the last thing i think jennifer says she goes my tit. <laughs> and he goes, no, it's your heart. And then, like, two seconds after, you know, Jennifer dies, her mom comes in and sees Needy's, like, murdered her. Um, so, Needy's in jail because of that. Um, but then you realize, because Jennifer bit her, um, Needy absorbed demonic powers, and so she breaks out of jail, 
so that she can go murder the guys that uh, tried to sacrifice Jennifer to Satan. <laughs> and then, so, like, there's this whole montage of, like, home videos, you know, like, from band tours and stuff back in 2009. And then you just, like, see a bunch of, like, blood and and stuff on the walls, and then you see their dead bodies and everything, and it's like, well, she accomplished that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm really glad they didn't end the movie where we didn't see that, because I would have felt really unsatisfied. It would have been like, you know, something had built up to this point, and then it didn't happen. But I'm glad that we at least got it in, like, kind of a post credit scene, even though, you know, it, it wasn't like the the main plot line of the film to to get those guys but i do feel like there's a bit of satisfaction from watching needy murder them <laughs> yeah Ma- mainly because they're the they're the source of why you know needy lost her best friend because they were predatory towards jennifer and then that's how she ended up the way she was and it's kind of powerful um even though like a lot you know, most of the time when I was watching those guys die, I was, like, I was feeling really vindicated, like, you know, yes, finally they're getting what they deserve for doing that to her, but, like, from me's perspective, it's so sad that, like, she had to go to prison and then bust out to get these guys when, you know, it could have just not happened in the first place. So, so one thing that I was thinking of, I guess this is more about the plot, but, like, did people think that Needy was the one who killed everyone? Probably. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised, because, like, yeah, she's been caught killing Jennifer, plus, like, the fact that her boyfriend died. It's, like, often, you know, people people who are linked murder their partners. Yeah, Yeah, like, so I wouldn't be surprised if that's what they assumed. Yeah. They call her a kicker. Oh, yeah. Because funny. Anytime the cops try to drag her away, she starts kicking them in the face. (laughs) But, like, honestly, I would do the same thing. (laughs) She has to wear these, like, extra padded shoes to keep her from hurting the cops. That's really funny. That's really funny. So, yeah. I really liked this film. I would recommend it to anyone. Oh, Um, I would do. Also, like... Keep in mind, like, I guess we kind of got these pretty serious themes from this movie, but it's, the movie itself is really goofy. Yeah, it's a horror comedy, definitely. definitely. Yeah, it has a lot of comedic elements. Um, a lot of it actually reminded me of Heathers. Yeah, it's like like a modern take High school setting where kids keep dying, and it's because, you know, there's a character who feels the need to kill people based on the way society has treated them um the the only thing i will say is that jd and heathers feels less correct about his assumptions of the society around him while jennifer actually had trauma Mm -hmm. happen to her and her way of dealing with it besides the fact that she's a demon is to kill these people who i think you know put a lot of expectation on her like there's a jock there's this goth kid who um has like bothered her for forever about you know dating him and you know the only the only time that it's like a death that isn't something expected of her is chip and it's i think because 
She just really wants Needy back to being, you know, her own instead of like being so away that from one her. random Indian guy she killed. Which guy? Oh yeah, the guy on the night that she got possessed. Oh yeah, the um, exchange student kid. I don't remember his name. And I think that that was just kind of thrown in just to say like, hey, she kills people. Yeah, when you know? she's hungry. But yeah, so I, I think this has held up really well, and it was almost really ahead of its time. I mean, it's mm-hmm. definitely not as smart as, like, you know, our modern horror renaissance, like Get Out or or The Babadook or whatever, but I think it has a lot of interesting and complex themes and good yeah. writing, and I think definitely at the time when it came out mm-hmm. in 2009, there just weren't very many smart horror films. It's, it's very dated because of the language they use. And, like, the stereotypes that they put into, you know, the characters in high school. But at the same time, I feel like it's not that dated because the subject matter still holds up. Yeah. I'd say, too, like, I feel like some of that was a little bit necessary since it's kind of a statement of the time period. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, I agree. Um, yeah, so this, highly recommend, thumbs up. Yes. Yes. Excellent. Well, thank you for tuning in. Uh, We'll be back again next time with Sleepaway Camp. That's just me and Marty. And, um, yeah, we'll have a lot more episodes soon. Eventually we will get back to our our premise of covering things, yeah, that are actually on Netflix. But, you know, we want to do something a little special for Pride Month. And Mm -hmm. technically Jennifer's Body has been on Netflix at some point, so, you know, we're not straying too far. Yeah, we're just a little late to the party. <laughs> yeah. But so. when have we not been late to the party? <laughs> right. Yeah. So thank you for tuning in. Do you guys have anything you want to plug? Twitter, etc.? I have to say, this is my first kind of standard episode on the podcast, but I was also in one of the Patreon episodes. Mm-hmm. So I guess if you really liked me and with my, like, five lines I said in this episode, <laughs> then... Subscribe to uh, the Patreon, but yeah, if um, you go to if, the... even if you hated me in this one, still subscribe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. If you go to the Patreon, you can um, hear Ethan's take on the Stephen King cinematic universe, mm-hmm. and he has a very good theory about where this is all leading. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So tune in. Yeah. Um. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Kai the Jedi. That's K Y the Jedi. Uh, you can find me um, at FrostyTheR0Bot on Twitter. And you can find me uh, at EJDDoogler. And you can find Oatmeal chewing on our toes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then Netflix and Kill is at Netflix underscore in underscore kill. And our host network, Lunar Light Studio, is at Lunar Light HQ. Be sure to check out some of their other shows. We have a lot of new shows. Um, Trans Questioning, A Deck of Friendship mock footage, and so many more. So please give them a listen. They're great. You all are great. I hope you're having a good summer so far, and may your nightmares be plentiful.